Hello and welcome to Judgment Day, the film podcast that pits the films you're passionate about against Terminator 2. I'm your host, Michael Carroll. Our subject today is Spider-Man. And my guests are Alana Levin and Franny Batista. How are you guys? Hey, good to be here. Hey, I'm doing great. Happy to be here as well. Thanks for coming, guys. I have some bios here. Uh, Alana Levin has worked at the intersection of comics and activism for over a decade. Alana hosts Graphic Policy Radio Podcast, where comics and politics meet, interviewing comics writers and artists about their work since 2012, and hosting conversations between organizers, activists, and cultural critics. Alana's critical work on comics, geek culture, queerness, and current affairs have appeared in Wired, The Daily Beast, Comics Beat, BBC, and more. Alana is launching a new podcast with co-host Sarah Daniel Rasher this winter, Deep Space Dive, a, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. I should also say, I'd also like to introduce Alana uh, by way of saying that uh, the funnest Halloween party I've ever been to was an X-Men team party. <laughs> And mm-hmm. Alana came as Siren. I did, yes. And it was an amazing outfit. And, and thank you uh, for inviting me. That was like definitely one of the best Halloween parties ever. We like an entire Halloween party of people dressed as the X Men. <laughs> people, people did. People did some. People went for it in in the mm-hmm. really obscure characters, which was the pleasure of it all. But I want to also introduce song uh, songwriter, rapper, producer, avid comic book reader and operations director at New York Commutes for a Change, Frandy Batista, um, whose latest Spotify EP, Tuesday Volume 4, I found particularly lovely. Um, oh, thank you. Uh, Frandy, who would you have been in an X-Men uh, Halloween party? That's a good question. I probably would have gone for Gambit. Gambit? Yeah, I think, or, what it, or maybe oh. Sunspot. Maybe some. You, you have you have Gambit vibes. Not many people can pull off Gambit. I, I think you could actually have done. Yeah, that. yeah. I, I, I that's kind of what I what I what I was thinking too. More of like the the aura than the look, you know, of Gambit. I feel like- well, the head sock thing is what's really hard to make it actually like look okay in real life. That's the challenge with characters. As opposed to just a guy in like design. a duster, yeah, with cards, yeah. The, 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 the <laughs> head sock, you know, where you could see the hair, but somehow covering the sides of your face means you're anonymous the commitment that they had to making that a part of so many character costumes definitely makes um it makes a lot of the cosplay more challenging than it would be otherwise <laughs> yeah definitely a lot of those 90s uh type costumes are, are hard to pull off they, they were designed to look cool on paper and not look realistic hey speaking of which <laughs> exactly <laughs> uh we're talking about one of the most interesting designed iconic superheroes of all time uh, my my favorite since I was a wee lad, Spider-Man. I, I invited both of you on because you're both people who I, I've actually, um, we've talked a little bit about comic book stuff. We've talked a little bit about Spidey in particular. And um, I always like love talking about them with you guys, but we're always in the middle of like five or six other things and we never really get the time to indulge in it. So uh, I know both of you guys are very, uh, um, yeah, active comic book people what were your early what were your early like spider-man uh experiences i i started reading spider-man with spider-man maximum carnage and it actually (laughs) was one of the first comics i like comic book comics i ever read uh basically i have a younger brother and he became old enough to read comics when i was in junior high so here there i am i'm reading like the trade paperback like thick thick compendium of spider-man maximum carnage just based on having looked at the cover and been like 
the, the venom face and the carnage face. And it was such a great composition. I'm like, fuck, I'm going to read this. So that's where I came in on Spider-Man. Well, that's interesting. Uh, just because, you know, that was a big event and it was building off of a lot of different stories. And there are a lot of like tertiary characters. Was What, what was your first impression of, of reading it? Just like, I, I want to know more. Or like, was it like intuitive or... I, you know, I, as would, as would be true for any X-Men fan, like I'm someone who's perfectly fine jumping in in the middle of a story, assuming that the people who are there have a reason to be there and like figuring <laughs> it out over time. And, you know, sometimes you have your own headcanon about, well, clearly this person is doing this because of that, even if you have no idea. And remember kids, this is before the internet. I mean, the internet was DARPA and I did not have internet in my home, right? Yeah. Uh, so the, the only way to figure it out was just sort of reading through it. But yeah, it was like, I think I probably was under the impression that Morbius the Living Vampire was a bigger deal than he actually was just based on having read, you know, that particular, or, 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 or Deathlock, he goes inside of computers. Like, I, yeah. like, well, he's prominent in this big crossover event, so clearly these are characters that other people care about. But yeah, I enjoy jumping right in. I mean, it definitely was a comic where right off the bat, you're seeing like 50 different artists, you know, not a ton of consistency throughout. But I really did enjoy, and some of those artists were clearly better than others. But I really so, enjoyed the story. I was into it. Got me into superhero comics. Frandy, where'd you, uh, where'd you come in on? Um, so I actually started reading comics late because I was always really into superheroes. I started, uh, my first exposure to Spider-Man was the 90s cartoon on Fox Kids. You know, I'm obviously a 90s baby. Classic, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I still enjoy it even though, Knowing things I know about it now, I realize that like Spider-Man never throws a punch in that show because of <laughs> censorship issues and like the, so it's interesting to see how they work around the fights. Um, but you know, I was always really big into like superhero media, and then as I got older, like I realized that like I consumed everything that I possibly could, like primarily Spider-Man related, and I was like, well, what else is there? And then I was like, duh, comics, like that's where he comes from, you know. <laughs> so I started reading. Um, Ultimate Spider-Man by Brian Bendis. Oh. And I just opened, it just opened the whole can of worms. Like my collection is one of the most, you know, like I'm, I'm so proud of the work that I put into it over the years. Um, but I really didn't start reading comics uh, as much as I do now until I was like, I don't know, maybe 18, 19. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, just both in that, like uh, my, my first Spider-Man comic was a, um, acts of vengeance and cosmic <gasps> spider-man cro crossover yes like, that 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 was my it's so it was, good it was a sensational issue with Salbushema art and it was like um like uh, alana to what you were saying it was it was definitely like that there were two large storylines that were like happening at the same time and and uh, sort of mashing together and um i only was vaguely aware of him through the like early 80s cartoon um, but I was kind of getting into them at the time and uh, just, yeah, just like really great art and like a story that I just assumed I would be able to pick up on. Um, <laughs> and like, there's all this talk in the comics community about jumping on points. And I'm just sort of like, I, I don't know, I, good comics. But then when I got, when I got, and then I kind of got older into my teens, I was, you know, um, I went through the like 13 to 15 year old air period where I was like, oh, I don't, I don't care about that stuff. And it was actually, Bendis's Ultimate Spider-Man run that like I think really like um, kind of clicked for me. Uh, Look at uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Because because honestly, you know, for people who 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 know um, 
if you don't know, we're probably boring to show you by this point, but like um, back there's this whole clone stuff in the late nineties that just like, Ugh. yeah, yeah just, just, you know, um, well, more on that maybe later. I don't know. Uh, so we're talking about um, Spider-Man through um, uh, his films. And one of the things that I think is interesting is, um, you know, obviously since he's such a, a large um, uh, IP, um, his films have kind of, um, uh, he hasn't, I don't think his films have necessarily shaped the uh, superhero movie genre, but they have touched on a lot of the different uh, mutations it's made uh, in the last, uh, you know, the last 40 years. Um, so um, we're kind of just going to go through a little more free form than we've done in previous episodes and just kind of touch through like the ones that we've uh, that we have anything to kind of talk about and not not either um friend or alana i've seen all these um but um we're gonna start with um 1977's the amazing Spider-Man, which stars nicholas hammond um we watched um the uh, made for tv pilot where spidey gets his powers kind of quickly and then he gets to work solving a case involving these upstanding citizens who are hypnotized into committing major crimes I saw this film in the 90s, in the mid 90s. I rented it from a video store because I was really into superheroes and I was really into movies. Never the Twain Shall Meet unless it was Batman. And you know, hmm. I was so excited to finally get my hands on this. And boy, I went back to this film 25 years later for this episode, hoping to find more there. And uh, I'm kind of back to where I was when I, I first have saw to, it. I have to say, I was expecting it to be a lot worse. Like oh, I had, okay. I assumed it was going to be like some something that like would be straight up you'd do an MST3K treatment of, and yeah. while I don't think it was very interesting, the ways in which it was boring is consistent with most good production television of the time period. So like the performances are no more wooden than anything else that was being put out at that time. The production values were pretty okay for like 1977. Um, and the music was good, uh, and like the music was good, yeah. To, to its credit, I think the concept of people getting brainwashed through a self improvement cult is very apt for 1977 because, like, that's a real thing. Now, in real life, when people get brainwashed through self improvement cults, they're usually not robbing banks, although that has happened before. Yeah. But I was like, I, this is surprisingly topical. Um, <laughs> and for all Patty Hearst energy. Yep, yep. And I appreciate, except for you, this is all coming from like, you know, corporate people yeah. who, are, who are leading it. I appreciated the rapidness in which, within which it handled Spider-Man's origin story. Um, mm -hmm. and, and that's 1977. Like, 1977 is a time where I don't know if you can assume that all human beings on Earth know what Spider-Man's origin story is. And yet they still did go ahead, tell it really quickly, and like, moving right along. But he I did ultimately only, find the show. He was only show... 14 years old at the time. It's so, it's so wild yeah. to think, you know? Like, yeah. uh, um, uh, did you like Nicholas Hammond? Did he do anything for you? Did you, first I mean, off, did you, did, you, did you recognize Nicholas Hammond from anything else? I did not. What else is he in? Do you tell. I was shocked to, tell, to discover that he was one of the Von Trapps in The Sound of Music. Oh my God. I was going to yeah. say, like, he's like a little Friedrich. waspy for uh, my own feelings that, around. Waspy, that's literally the word I put in my notes here. Is that just like uh, Tucker Carlson look alike waspy energy? Ooh. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Brandy, are you that's... sold yet? <laughs> I got to watch it. It's on my list. 
um, the, the, the one like funny thing that, well, one of the funny things, the, the costume, the costume is fine, but then he also like, and, and I presume this isn't actually Hammond, but the actor who plays the guy who wears the Spider-Man outfit, he like hunches over and he puts his arms out and he tries to look creepy while he's just like walking over like rooftops. And that had a fun charm because Spider-Man has very iconic poses, a very iconic body mm-hmm. language. That right. I feel like um, that, that's kind of like always a thing that like um, the, the pleasure of watching a Spider-Man movie would be like to see something like that, maybe for some people. It's a great But point. yeah, there wasn't a lot of meat on this bone. I felt- no, but I'm impressed that it wasn't a completely budget, like treated like a joke show though. Like I would have thought that maybe TV would have said, oh, this is a dumb show for kids and we're going to, you know, assume that everyone's dumb. And I, I, I felt like it seemed like consistent with television of the time, which I was not, not expecting. Yeah, there, there was, uh, thinking about the, like, the, the weird supervillain um, who has, you know, obviously there's no analog in the comics. It felt like there was, a, like, unused Mission Impossible script somewhere that, like, they just, like, <laughs> had like six weeks to repurpose into like doing the, you know, some, some guy who like writes this stuff for a living. It just has to like repurpose all this stuff and do it under this budget. It's fine. It, I, I saw it five days ago and I, I have to look at my notes to remind myself of what kind of impression it made on me. So, so no impression. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it was interesting to see, um, is interesting what what I, what I thought was interesting about Nicholas Hammond was that he um he does he's not funny he's not um depressed he's a blank so like it doesn't feel like the spirit was really there because there was no character there was just like the 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 silly costume and the like you know the there were some That's nice wall crawling sequences like and they actually did a little bit more than just like put the like you know, um, base of a building on the floor and kind of walk up like like Adam West Batman. Like they did a little bit more than that, but like there was no personality, and I think that's really what was what was missing. Um, that's actually like I think like a would be a decent segue into the Raimi Spider Man films because that's my major read problem. my mind. <laughs> so so uh, let's see, there were there were three films from two thousand and two to two thousand and six. Uh, Toby McGuire's Peter Parker, Sam Raimi directed uh, Green Goblin uh, and then uh, Dr. Octopus and then, yeah, another Green Goblin and the Sandman and a Venom, yada, yada, yada. Franny, yeah. what do you think of these? Yeah, so, you know, at the time, I mean, I, I still am very fond of them. I think that, like, like you said in, uh, in the beginning of the, of the podcast, they weren't necessarily films that, like, pioneered anything in the superhero genre, but they did kind of capitalize on a lot of the stuff um, that was set up before. I think this particular film series was one of the high notes of the era of superhero films that was started with like Blade and X-Men. Yeah, first wave, yeah, for sure, yeah. Um, So so, so I think it's iconic just because of that. Like, it's like one of those, like, you can't hate on it. I feel like, especially if you're a Spider-Man fan, like, you can't dislike it. But I think that as more Spider-Man live action portrayals have come out and as I've consumed more media, like I like Toby, but he's only half of Spider-Man to me. He's like, he's very nice. He's a very nice guy. Uh, he's nice and he's sad all the time. And like 
Spider-Man is sad. I think, you know, he is tragic. He's a very tragic character. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's part of his core, but I think part of what people like, kind of misunderstand about Spider-Man is also like his need or his desire or his will or his ability to march on and like crack a joke in spite of this despair and you know this depression and like shit literally always going wrong in his life and like toby doesn't have that like he's always just fucking crying and it's great for you know like the drama of it but like i think in the whole series maybe he cracked like two jokes and 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 like that banter is you know to me and to a lot of spider-man fans just as essential to spidey as you know it is to deadpool but I think the movies are good. I think the movies are good. I think the effects, especially for the time, uh, still hold up pretty well. Um, three, as we all know, was a flop. Uh, that was before, I think, directors kind of knew how to handle multiple characters. Because yeah. Yeah. yeah, if you look at Civil War, there's like 25 people in that. And it, and it's, I yeah, they all kind of have beginning and ends, yeah. I, yeah. I haven't seen Spider-Man 3, but I feel like that dance sequence has a validity, an artistic uh, value of its own that it just seems like this wasn't, this wasn't the audience that was prepared for something that was to be as campy as that uh, 2006 was. 2006 wasn't ready for, yeah. Uh, Alana, it feels like it's been rehabilitated somewhat. So, so can I ask you, Alana, just, um, were you mindfully <laughs> Spider-Man movies? No, I'm, I'm serious. Right. No, I was going to say, like, was it deliberate that you didn't watch these Spider-Man yeah. movies? Um, you know, I think that uh, I didn't watch at that time. I just didn't watch Hollywood blockbuster type movies. And um, even though my taste in comics, you know, is includes a lot of, obviously, because I like have read Spider-Man, very mainstream stuff. My, my taste in movies at that point was not oriented towards blockbusters. And um, I just kind of assumed it was going to be dumb. Mm -hmm. And so I just didn't bother. I've never been a completist. I, I've about uh, superhero movies. I, I only go to see the ones that sound like they'll actually be good. And you know, people were telling me at the time that Spider-Man was actually good, but I didn't really hear it until it was already out of the theater. And then you know, like life moves along. But yeah, I wasn't like banning it or anything. It was more about the fact that it was a blockbuster than anything else. Yeah, you know, I think that it's so funny. Um, so it's weird to talk about this. Have um, that first one? I don't think has a, a lot to recommend outside of like the proof of concept. Like there, mm. there is I think like forty-five really good minutes in that film, um, really good. Um, and then yeah, and then you kind of um, they, they're trying to figure this out. And I, I think one of the notes I kind of had because I rewatched Spider-Man Two with uh, the Doctor Octopus one. Um, there's so many Spider-Mans and Spider-Man Twos and Spider-Man Threes. Um, I, I, you know, it really seems like Raimi was trying to like, and a lot of what was going on with the superhero movies at the time, they were all trying to just do um, the the Superman franchise, the Christopher Reeve Superman franchise, down to like, it's a it's it's essentially a love story, and um, it's about a really nice person, and and you know, you could say that works for Superman. I actually think you know, I I rewatched a lot of those films this summer. Yeah, I actually think uh, even with, for Superman, that um, framework doesn't do this stuff justice. You know, like you, you kind of want there to be more dimension uh, to it. Uh, and, and I remember 
feeling that in the back of my head, but it was something I was such a fanboy in 2002. It was hard for me to like articulate that. Um, well, I mean, I can't speak to this to this mm-hmm. theme's presence in the Raimi work per se, but like yeah. I think one of the key pieces, and that is also true or should be true of Superman, is that these are characters with a ton of weight of social class, you know, yeah. written on them and into them. And, and, and if you're creating stories about them that don't touch on it, you're really missing one of the things that's central to them. Like Spider-Man is struggling to afford to go to college. He like... He doesn't, he can't afford it otherwise. When he graduates from college, he's struggling to keep his apartment. Like he's a, he's, he's a working class guy. And that's important part of his story. The, the Raimi movies do actually really put that into perspective, which is interesting because it's, mm. they, they, they like, for example, in the first movie, it's all about him. You know, it's selfish at first, just as in the comics, like he wants money for himself, but you know, there's the whole subplot of, a, like, his landlord, Mr. Dickovich, who, like, won't fix his doorknob because Peter doesn't have the money for the rent. Um, and, like, his apartment is just, like, a little shack, you know? So, like, they do kind of touch on those things, but I feel, like, thematically, like Michael was saying, most of the weight is given to, like, the seventh different guy that Mary Jane has dated in two movies that's not Peter, yeah. you know? Mm. Like, that's it just ends up being, like, oh, she kind of likes me, and now she's with Harry. And, there, but she likes Spider-Man, but she doesn't like me. But now she's with this other guy that she's getting married to. But, you know, it's just like, it, it, that's the, the theme throughout all the films, I would say. Yeah, there, there is a really great sequence of being a Spider-Man 2 where he's um, delivering pizzas. And when I, when I first started, when I moved to New York and I started um, working in, in films, um, I, I used to watch this scene over and over again because it really does capture the stress of, driving he's, he's like toby's riding a little motorbike driving into the city to just like try and make shit wages you know um yeah and, that's and a good scene to go into a corner and kind of like you know uh, swing into action but but there's there's a weird there's a weird um thing with aunt may where she uh by the second film she's um her home's getting foreclosed on and like um She's trying to give Peter twenty dollars because it's his birthday, and she has this very touching scene where she's like, "Take this money," and he's like, "I can." And she's like, "Yes, you can." Um, but in the third, and then in the third film, that all kind of ends with her getting a really, she downsizes into a really nice Upper West Side apartment. You know, oh, like boy. that's that, yeah. that, that that's yeah. sort of what like 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 the 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 class stuff. Raimi tries to go for it, and I don't know how much of it is Raimi and how much of it is the fact that you know, big corporate art like this can't, you know, um, can only process it so much. You know what, let's just, let's just jump into the Tom Holland stuff. You guys just want to like move into that? Sure. I'm definitely seeing all of that. Yeah. So, so we're, so no Andrew Garfield Garfield, love They try to fix everything with the amazing Spider-Man franchise, which was two movies and I, no one liked them. And, um, I don't know, um, but moving on to the, the Tom Holland stuff, that's Spider-Man uh, 2017's uh, Homecoming and 2019's uh, Far From Home. And um, yeah, Jay Watts is the director. Um, and right off the bat, yeah, I, if I can, just by way of introducing it, I, the, the trailer for Homecoming got critiqued for um, kind of like having too much plot detail where they kind of show like 
Spider-Man's becoming a new Avenger and Iron Man's giving him this opportunity and then he fucks it up and then Iron Man says, you're not an Avenger anymore. And people were like, you know, oh, this is driving me crazy. It's like, they're, they're just giving away the whole movie. And I thought, no, what they're doing is they're saying, this isn't going to be just like a like Spider-Man love story, Superman framework, like like what mm-hmm. I was saying before. Like, like they did kind of like break away and they're like, this is about, this is about like, class mobility to some degree arguably um you know but it's about it's about being a kid and it's about aspiring which is more than i think any of the other spider-mans previously what do you guys think um i you know i i have a whole episode where i covered it uh, for my podcast with um public school teacher who I wanted, who's also a film critic and another friend who's another critic who went to New York City public schools because like I'm really interested in it from the standpoint of like, you know, like New York City kids and like what what of themselves, you know, do you see in the story? Um, But the thing that drives me crazy about the way other critics have talked about it in terms of class is like they keep mischaracterizing Vulture as being this like working class guy and yeah. I'm like, no, 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 no. He, oh, you know, you're, you're confused. Like, we don't know what level of education attainment he has, but he is boss. He owns a company. He has he's employees. A yeah. He's a manager. And like, the thing is, you know, he is getting screwed over by the bigger corporations, but no, Spider-Man is not secretly oppressing the working class by fighting Vulture. Like, you yeah. know, I, I was the he's worst dumb time. take. Yeah. Yep. He's like, and, and Vulture is such a fucking Republican. And you know, he's like putting out the money to like support, you know, Nicole Maliotakis's run for, 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 for Congress, right? Like it's all over him. And I think it's a very good performance, but like yeah. the fact that people were being sympathetic towards him, I'm like, look, my, Michael Keaton is a really good actor. Do not let him, but do not let him like pull you yeah, over don't. into thinking. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think people kind of mischaracterize him as, as working class. I do find that he is like a maybe like a family man. I don't even. I, I don't even. I, I feel like what he does is for the motivation of like making sure that his people are good. And there is like a, something there that people can connect to. But you can find something like that, and like in everybody, you know, and even mm-hmm, probably the mm-hmm. most despicable villain, you can find something that it's like. I mean, if they're a good villain. They have to have, at least for me, some kind of valid motivation for me to be like, okay, I can see that. I mean, you're still wrong, but yeah, I can yeah. see it, you know? Um, uh, yeah, that's just my take on Vulture. Sorry, Michael. I think the other exciting thing that 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 movie did was give us Mary Jane, and there are not, um, you know, I am definitely a big defender of traditional depictions of Mary Jane as well, where she's like a fun party girl because... Uh, I appreciate there being like a superhero girlfriend who isn't a quote unquote good girl, right? But I also felt like the characterization of Mary Jane in this movie was was a lot, was just basically representing a kind of girl who you don't get to see in teen stories much. She was like edgy and smarter than everyone else and sarcastic. And like, that was special. I was like the closest I'd seen to seeing a character who reminded me of me as a young person um, in, in, you know, a mainstream movie really. Uh, so that was really impressive to me. Yeah, um, it was. I didn't see it coming. It was. It was. Um, it, it was. Uh, the, a lot of homecoming was really surprising, and I feel like that never. That kind of got glossed over. Like, th- there's a really great third act plot twist with the vulture reveal. Like reveal. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, like it, it. Very rarely in films do you get to get 
surprised like that. And, um, you know, he had done, Jay Watts had directed a film with Kevin Bacon called Cop Car, which uh, I, I strongly recommend to people. Um, hmm. Are you like Spider-Man or not? It's a very like low budget Coen brothers um That's kind of like the generic take, but it's true. And it's very exciting. And it's full of the, well, it's, there are definitely moments of just like narrative free fall. Like there are just plot twists where you're like, oh, this changes everything. And um, it really bro- breathed, uh, it really breathes life into uh, something like, uh, something like Homecoming um, to any sort of superhero movie. Cause you know, um, that's sort of what you want is to be, have something unexpected and satisfying happening at the same time. Well, that kind of goes to what you're saying with Mary Jane. He he does have an interesting eye for knowing when to like veer away from Spider-Man, uh, like like formal narrative and and kind of like create this thing that's his own. Um, that said, I am excited for Hobgoblin finally uh, appearing. Uh, Ned Leeds finally taking on his true form in the next Spider-Man film. Anybody? Oh, is that what's going to happen? Is that actually happening? No, no, no. That's my joke because of course it's not going to happen. Because of course yeah, like what happened happen. was they like they like had a character who was basically Genki from, you know, uh, Miles. Miles. Yeah. yeah, and they just like put all the names of all the side characters on a dartboard and they then hit <laughs> Ned Leeds. And, uh, yeah. I mean, if they do do what they're supposed to do for the next one or what they're claiming they're going to do, I'm going to... Like, I could die happily after that movie. Well, yeah, I so like, like, I didn't plan it like this, but yeah, you, 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 so you follow the news here, Franny. What, 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 uh, what, what are you alluding to? So uh, basically the rumors that are circulating is that a lot of the cast from the previous Spider-Man franchises, uh, Amazing Spider-Man with uh, Andrew Garfield and Raimi Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, uh, both heroes and villains might be returning for this third MCU Spider-Man installment. So I think like they're dipping their toes in, in that water, in those waters to kind of just like give closure. I feel like if you're a Spider-Man fan and you like I am and you've been following the movies, a lot of the stuff has been, I don't want to say disappointing, but you know, Spider-Man 3 was a letdown. There was an expectation for a Spider-Man 4 and that's when the Vulture was originally rumored to be a villain. Yeah, in the Sam Raimi's Spider-Man 4, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and that got canned because they wanted, apparently they wanted him to rush it uh you know get it out by a certain date and he wasn't okay with that so they already had uh been working behind the scenes on what would be the amazing spider-man and the first one you know yeah whatever we're not even gonna get into that (laughs) uh the second one i think had its had its moments uh but it still wasn't like great uh great costume between the costume in the second and amazing spider-man 2 was really good i would agree with that and the chemistry between Emma Stone and Andrew Garfield is great. I'm glad that Gwen Stacy finally got some shine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that, you know, one of the most tragic moments of, and like a seminal moment in Peter's career is the loss of Gwen, you know? And that's like such a heavy burden to bear that you don't really see many heroes, unless they're like grim, dark superheroes, you know, like some, that's something like that happens to. And, um, Peter, uh, you know, Toby's Peter never really had to carry that weight. So I was kind of excited to see where that was going to go. And then that got canned. Um, but would you have even wanted it to have gone on? I mean, that's... Uh, it it wasn't great, but I feel like, you know, 
maybe I'm the opposite of Ilana and I just like, I like things to be completed. Like there was a sense of like something that was being alluded to here that mm. even if it wasn't great, I would have liked to see it finalized and it never was. And yeah. like, you know, I, you guys watch Rick and Morty at all? I've Not seen it, yeah. in any large quantity. I've seen maybe about a so, handful. So there's an, yeah, there's an episode of Rick and Morty where he's going through like this intergalactic cable thing and has like channels from different universes and stuff that like never existed in our universe. And I always thought like if something like that existed, like I know somewhere there's a Spider-Man 4 or an amazing <laughs> Spider-Man 3 <laughs> and it might not be good, but like I want to see it. You know, I would, I would be down to see it to see where it goes. And I think that kind of bringing those characters in to uh, the MCU's Spider-Man 3 and giving them each their finality would be like putting the nice, a nice little bow um, on the Spider-Man franchise and kind of tightening everything up. I mean, and, I hear you. I, I hear you, but like, what do you, but like, how do you feel about the MCU making Spider-Man into an Iron Man sidekick? Yeah, I, so that's my problem with uh, the MCU Spider-Man movies. I enjoy them. You know, I think maybe I'm biased as a Spider-Man. But I do think that Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man that has been cast. I think he's the perfect balance mm -hmm. of, uh, you know, like, not just the the intelligent, nerdy aspect of Peter, but also uh, the youth is captured much more accurately than the 30-year-old uh, Tobey Maguire. Yeah. Um, he, he has, has a, the he has, he has a, he has a dopiness. The, sorry. He, he has a dopiness that, that like, I think that he creates a he creates a Spider-Man that is very uh, enjoyable and fleshed out and and true to what he can do or what what the MCU is doing with it. But it, yeah, there's just with all these films, there's like an elusive, there's a very elusive spirit to me. And 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 like I said, I I really like Holland's Spider-Man, but you know, I mean, maybe it's just the fact that like for me, he's like. Uh, the the best pop culture is the pop culture you like consume when you're eight right so for me mm. spider-man is a like guy in his late 20s early 30s and he's married and he has like some sad things in his past but he's mostly a sarcastic you know uh freelance guy right but you got to get there and i think that that's yeah. to me that's the beauty of casting tom holland and not just tom holland but also what uh, alana was saying before about zendaya as, as mj is that i don't you know i don't think she's always going to stay like that and I don't think Peter is either. I think she'll grow into being that person that we know from the comics. That's more, uh, not necessarily that cares more about her looks because who, like, who really gives a shit about that, but that like embraces that and like lets go a little more and opens up a bit more. You can see it through the film she's been opening up to Peter more as opposed to being more like sarcastic. Um, and I feel like Peter is going to grow into being like that version of him that we know before he gets off. Um, and that's the, you know, that's, that's the finality to his story. And I think that's why I, I, I prefer that they would have cast somebody like him. You can get, you know, five movies out of him and then he's 30 something. And it's like the Spider-Man story that should have been on film the whole time. But I'm not, I don't, I don't really like the whole, I guess, like sidekick type yeah. vibe. I find that part of Spider-Man is that like, to me, he's very much a, a loner. He every once in a while comes across, you know, Daredevil. Punisher, a lot of these like street level heroes, but like he didn't really have an association with like Iron Man uh, with Iron Man like that until Civil War. You know when he was already with Mary Jane and yeah, yeah, yeah. You know he was already like, that's yeah. History. No, I mean it's like Spider Man being in such close proximity to extreme wealth and technology 
is really at odds with everything the character is supposed to be about. So right. the entire movies are struggling against against this. Like Spider-Man is not about like, oh yeah, my mentor is one of the richest men in the world and he can build me a drone system. Also, by the way, like fuck drones, that's bad. Yeah. Like, that's not what Spider-Man is for. And, you know, I, I, I like, you know, in the comics, like I definitely, I like Spider-Man's interactions with other characters and cast. Like for example, I love his friendship with Johnny Storm. I mean, like yeah. that's, but it never manifests itself as like any kind of a sidekick thing. And it's, and um, you know, it's like, I, I, I also just forget to get back to your point about MJ though. I would be heartbroken if the, if the, if the, if the MJ from the MCU grew up to be the Mary Jane from the comics, because like, while I, I really enjoy traditional Mary Jane as this like fun loving, like party girl, which you just don't, ever see like comics of her treat that like that's a legitimate person to be like that's so at odds with like the super brainy hyper intellectual um mj of the show that like of the movies i just wouldn't i don't want her to like i want her to be able to open up and be freer more comfortable with other people and like you know deal with every kind of i'll reject you before you reject me kind of hang-ups she has but right i don't want her to become i don't want her to become a soap opera actress you know what i mean i agree no yeah i don't think she should go like full you know supermodel party girl uh that's what's so strange is that these are all like kind of created to yeah be like maybe five movies maybe two movies maybe one movie Mm -hmm. you know like there's there's a weird disposability to these franchises that like um that obviously the comics don't have because you know like there's they just end up consuming themselves i mean that that's sort of what happened with the raimi franchise it got bigger and bigger and yet diminishing returns uh which obviously with two-dimensional art uh is not necessarily uh as big of an issue um but yeah i I do want to actually like step back for just a second that i do want to emphasize that um fuck drones um there is something that that like the mcu like it really does it's been a thing that i've been that's been sitting in my mind um for a long time and i'm not the first person to say this but it it really is this weird like um they created this space that really like it it, the stuff works the way it's supposed to there's a big sandbox everyone can play with everybody else and but also yeah there's just like this weird military industrial complex fealty that uh is just gross and 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 takes me out of it as you know the the older I get and the older I get is further away from the target audience for this stuff so maybe I'm just being crashed the old man but I don't think that I don't know I don't think that there was necessarily there's different like um, conservative or reactionary politics to the comics I read as a kid and um, that's another factor that like when I see this stuff I do get alienated not that like I need a movie to like reflect what i needed to see as a you know kid Mm -hmm. exactly but like it takes the spirit away i'll put it like that. right was Um, do you know if the if the drone slash uh glasses technology was invented shortly before the time that homecoming took place or is that something that was invented at the time when tony stark was very much part of the military industrial complex i I don't know honestly i was watching that movie the other night uh and i was trying to think to myself if if Peter Parker died on uh, in, at the end of uh, the first, uh, at the end of that one movie where uh, Infinity War, um, mm-hmm. right, old man. If if Tony Stark died during Infinity, mm-hmm. if, if Peter Parker died during Infinity War, and he comes back for like five minutes before Tony Stark dies in uh, Endgame, 
like, when did he set that up for him? <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a whole bunch of the stuff that was like not even that's never. The, the in, spirit in the is really good. The spirit is very true right. to the characters, but just, I just I had that moment where I was just trying to like do the math in my head because I think I was asking some of the same questions you were. Yeah, there are a, bit, a lot of those flubs. Like for example, uh, the date that they give you at the beginning of Homecoming. Uh, I think it's like 2008. But that oh, yeah, yeah, that yeah. We're, I know exactly what you're going to actually get. happened. Um, so, you know, stuff like that, you kind of just got to try to overlook. Yeah, uh, so I don't pay attention to that at all. Yeah, it's, yes. it's like, it's like um, Luke and Leia kissing in Empire and then in Returns, they're, they're siblings. It's like no one had a plan. They're just making it up as they go along. Exactly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, um, really fast, something I was going to say before when Alana mentioned the relationship of Peter and Johnny Storm. I think you'll be excited to know, which you guys probably already know, uh, that John Watts is actually the director of the upcoming Fantastic Four movie in the MCU. <laughs> That's interesting. interesting. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I would be very impressed if the movie got to get away with any amount of the very, very, let's be honest, queer subtext that we've had in some of the recent comics along those lines. But, you know, go with God. Yeah, that'll be interesting. That'll be interesting. I actually hadn't heard that, that was, he was the director who was being brought for Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. Actually, I think the new his, is he doing this, the third Spider Man for the MCU? Yeah, they're doing it right now. I think he's just going to okay. move to the Fantastic Four. I hate to think that. Out. I mean, of all the films to be doing, one where at least at least one guy has to wear a mask is like a good thing. But like, anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, they, 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 so, so it does look like this third film is going to go into multiverse stuff, which there's a natural segue into, um, into the Spider Verse. And, and I do want to say both of those films. There is something very brand managing about them to me. Um, mm. I, I, I think Into the Spider-Verse is a great film. I think the older uh, Spider-Man, the one with the guy from um, New Girl, he embodies the spirit of the character as as well as I could have ever hoped for. I, 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 there's another film that I, I was watching again recently and I was wondering like, what do they do with Miles? Is he always going to be hopping? Does he have to always hop through the multiverse does Miles Morales always have to hop through the multiverse in order to have a movie, or is he going to be able to have a story where he just gets to do Spider-Man shit in his hometown? You know, um, I have strong opinions about Miles as a kid. Yeah, I know. I actually, so, I, I was, I was going to lead you. <laughs> yeah, well, man. Just, just, uh, just drop it. Uh, I'll, I'll try to make it quick because I know there's still a whole Terminator aspect of it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, so you know, Miles, I feel like. It took up until maybe into the Spider-Verse for me to, like, accept Miles and like him as, like, Spider-Man for multiple reasons. Uh, As I was reading Ultimate Spider-Man as it was coming out, and shortly before Miles was introduced, I would say maybe a year, there was this big event called Ultimatum where they kind of teased that Peter Parker was going to die. And, like, you know, to me, this was the Peter that got me into reading comics. And it turns out he was alive. It ran for, like, two or three more volumes. And then... You know, there the, were the clear fans. It was just weirdly petered out, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, just like. like no no pun intended. Yeah, right. <laughs> sorry, um, sorry. No, it's okay. That was a good one. <laughs> Bad joke. Um, and, uh, you know, and then it was very clear to me at the time, like watching it, that the inclusion of Miles was like very forced. Like it was like, we need to, I want to, I want to make Spider-Man this. So I'm going to kill, I'm going to take Peter out. He's going to kill him. From like a fan perspective, it made me very like bitter because like who who the fuck is this guy? I don't want to read this guy. I was reading this other guy, 
and I was invested in it. Yeah, it's just, you know, and I, I just carried that sentiment about Miles for a long time where it, it, it to me, these, it, like, legacy characters are also more of a DC thing. Like, you're not mm -hmm. Spider-Man, bro. Ben Riley yeah. wasn't Spider-Man either as much as he tried to be. Miguel O'Hara from 2099 is not Spider-Man as much as he tries to be. Like, you're not going to be Spider-Man. And even now, you know, you can see it. Like, the movie was great. The movie was really good. I would ne I'll never take that from the movie. And there are things about, obviously, Miles as a character, me being a, a Latino. There are things that, about the character and how the character lives and where the character lives that I relate to more. But, you know, I just feel like as long as he's, quote, unquote, Spider-Man, you're always going to live in the shadow of the one true Spider-Man. And his whole origin, you know, is built around being from the separate universe where people could kind of play around with these ideas. But I find that Bendis, you know, he started doing that a lot. Like, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to take this person out and do this with this person. And uh, it felt like never really organic. And that's kind of where it rubs me the wrong way. And I don't really give a shit about Miles. I'll be honest with you. Like, if I never see Miles in the MCU, I'll be perfectly fine. I, I'm it biting seemed, my tongue because I want to go wow. into this other stuff, but I have a lot to say about Bendis. But sorry, Alana, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, to me though, like when they when they were relaunching Spider-Man into the MCU, I was upset that it wasn't Miles because we've seen Peter Parker a million times, and I'm like, I I don't need another like white boy hero who like should be portrayed as Jewish, and they won't. And like, who should be portrayed as bisexual and they won't. So like, why don't you at least bring in like Miles Morales who has an interesting and unique story behind him and isn't just another like white boy superhero that you're gonna like, like because there's been, there's been Spider-Man movies before. Yeah, yeah. He has been there. Um, and so I was, it just seemed to me like such a lost opportunity to not have Miles Morales be the original Spider-Man for the MCU. So I was really excited when into the Spider-Verse was announced also just because like I love animated films and we need to have more animated films about superheroes because yeah. there's things that just work better in that format and it's exactly, more beautiful yeah. in that format but I, you know on lots of levels I'm just I'm definitely I'm a big fan of the Into the Spider-Verse movie there's just such really good opportunities to to use the medium in those ways like I love that they have untranslated Spanish in a Spider-Man yeah. like right like that's exciting um, and, you know, it plays a lot with stuff like invisibility versus hypervisibility, which is like a real, a real challenge when you're dealing with a Spider-Man story. I understand like people's attachment to the Spider-Man that they grew up with as a particular character, but like, I don't know. I wanted to see it from the start. Yeah, I feel like, so I, 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 see, I definitely see your points. I see the, like, the validity to them. My thing with Miles is that his whole, like, he's not unique. I mean, he is unique. I'm not going to say he's that unique, but he's like a Peter in a different situation. Like everything that happens to him is the same, but in a different setting. Mm -hmm. And, or at least in the comics, I think that Into the Spider-Verse had the benefit of hindsight to be able to like take what works for the character and really bring that to the forefront. Because, mm -hmm. you know, when you're reading the comics, it's a lot of like, I already saw this. It's just like happening to somebody else in a different Tragic uncle. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you're just trying to, you know, and also... Miles, the reason that I think that he's limited is because his whole existence as Spider-Man is based on Peter Parker being Spider-Man. Like, he wouldn't be Spider-Man if Peter didn't die being Spider-Man, you know? So, I think Miles, I'm fine with not seeing him, seeing him in the MCU. I think it could work. But I think the best way it would work is when we get that Tom Holland that we spoke about earlier, you know, in the fifth <laughs> Spider-Man movie, when he's already, like, 
mid like early 30s and then he gets killed off and like that <laughs> gives miles like you know it's like a handing off of the torch because when, when holland's day, script uh when holland's contract expires and he hmm. like uh exactly know. just kill him off you know and yeah. just put miles in it and i and I, that's the thing that's my problem with miles aside from you know uh, yeah i have a lot of problems i think like the his powers are like so powerful just for the sake of make of trying to make him like a stronger spider-man than peter but even with all these extra powers like blasts that knock people out in one hit and invisibility like you're still not a better spider-man than peter so what's the point yeah it's just a lot miles is we could do a whole uh, i could do yeah. a whole episode about miles <laughs> well let's put a pin on that because i think that yeah i i'd like to go down that a little further but let's 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 we're going a little long here folks sorry about that um, no, that's okay <laughs> Well, like, you only show- wanted to cover the entirety of Spider-Man as a concept in media. So. <laughs> no, just like, in- I haven't even we didn't, talked we didn't about touch Steve Ditko. We didn't talk- I haven't even I- talked about Steve Ditko. I've got like so much Steve Ditko feelings, but that's fine. We'll help put a pin. <laughs> Damn. I, I, oh, real quick, favorite Spider-Man artist, uh, uh, Frandy, go. Uh, Mark Bagley. Uh, Alana. Steve Ditko. I mean, for sure. 100%. And that's actually, the best... Now. The best and possibly only truly brilliant thing that was written by Stan Lee is the lines with great power must also come great responsibility. (laughs) Because, you know, I'm like the world's biggest Jack Kirby partisan. Like people know this about me. Your listeners might not, but yeah, yeah, I have like like a Jack Kirby sleeve. But like if for nothing else than for writing the words with great power also must come great responsibility into like the Spider-Man origin story. Cause I think the Spider-Man origin story is a great fucking origin story. Mm-hmm. Like I got to give Stanley for that. Cause that was, that was his line, but the development of Spider-Man as this like angsty alienated superhero character, or this like nerdy superhero, like that's coming from Ditko and those pages of him, like the famous ones from what is it like issue 32, 33 is some of the best cartooning that there's yeah, been uh, the, the the water coming on his face while under uh, under the collapse wow machine. yeah that's oh, a good right? panel that's yeah, iconic yeah. spider-man imagery yeah yeah tom but, mcfarlane uh, is also like up there for me yeah. oh tom mcfarlane is great yeah yeah uh hey listen geez now we're actually getting into it and I, I i i do feel like we should just pivot over to terminator real quick frandy you had never seen these films before <laughs> no first time and i'm glad did i did go um i'll try to summarize it it was great i enjoyed them i saw a lot of like things that are i guess iconic or very much in like mainstream media that like i always knew were from terminator but never saw them in context like hasta la vista baby and like you know, those kind of things you know mm-hmm. uh, so that was cool but i i don't know if anybody's ever thought about terminator one like this but it's very much a slasher film oh yeah like yeah. it's not i i was expecting more like a like, a, like a, I guess, like a sci-fi movie. It is, you know, it does have like sci-fi elements to it. But if you replace, like, the Terminator with Freddy Krueger, right? It's like this yeah. invincible thing that's just tracking you down the whole movie, you know? Or you could replace him with Jason Voorhees. It's the same kind of concept. Um, so I thought that was very interesting. because If there's one thing that defines T2 away from T1, it's the, like, absence of the slasher. Or, well, like, right. Yeah. To, to a certain and that's extent. what I found so interesting about it. Because when I started watching T2, the first, like, 15 minutes, I was, I was like, I already saw this. Like, why am I watching this again? Yeah. And, like, sometimes sequels tre- tread into that territory. Like, they kind of just rehash the same shit from the first one, but replace a few characters, you know? Did Jeez, you know that? I was in for a ride, man. Did you, did did you know, know what? that Arnold was the protagonist, was a protagonist in, in the second one? No. So that's another thing that I found super interesting. 
is that, you know, he went from being like, like I, the way I explained it to my girlfriend, because she had never seen him either, I was like, think about it like this. You watch the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, right? And they're running from Freddy the whole time. And then in the second one, there's this other guy who has more powers than Freddy. And now Freddy is a good guy. She was like, what? I was like, yes, that's yeah. Terminator 2, bro. That's what Terminator 2 is. Wow. Because I saw Terminator 2 first. Um, and I, I never got to have that experience. Anyway, Alana, you, you, you went back to it recently. Yes, I just rewatched T2 like yes, the day before yesterday to mm. prepare for this. And um, it's interesting because like I am very much of generation with T2, but I did not see it at the time. And I didn't see T1 or T2 till I was an adult. So what it felt like, but what, so what, what Terminator 2 had always been to me was the You Could Be My music video. And like, to, as, a, as like a young person, like that captured like the key pieces of the story for me. It was like Linda like Hamilton's biceps and Guns N' Roses. Like, mm. I'm like, and I'm so here for Linda Hamilton's biceps and like, and like deltoids yeah. and Guns N' Roses. Like those are two yeah. great things. I'm like the biggest fucking GNR fan. So I had already seen, and this is a muse for thought for folks who haven't seen the music video. Is this a music video that has tons of footage from the movie? So I had seen all of this stuff from T2 before I had even seen T2. And then when I finally watched T2, I was like, oh, this movie is extremely political. It was anti-nuclear weapons. It's anti-violence while also showing tons of violence. I mean, because that is one of the things that's distinct about um, Eddie Furlong's character in T2 is he's constantly like reminding the Terminator, like we don't kill people. And that's mm -hmm. a very Spider-Man thing. And so to me, like watching it yesterday with an eye towards, we'll be talking about this, we'll be talking about Spider-Man. Like the thing that connects Spider-Man and connects Terminator 2 is like these like young boys who don't want, who, who don't want to have people die. They're like, sometimes violence has to happen, but you better not be killing people. You know, but there's like, another thread if I, if I, if I can, mm -hmm. uh, are you guys familiar with the fact that in, I think it was 1995, James Cameron took a pass at Spider-Man? He wrote a, yeah. a, a screenplay. Did you take a look at that, Frandy? Yeah, I, I try to read about it. online. Um, I think Electro was supposed to be the villain in the movie, if I'm not mistaken. It was so strange. Um, Alana, are you familiar with this? With this no. Pop cultural yeah. item? So, yeah, it... it, it it, he, I read it years ago. Uh, again, I think during like the late 90s superhero drought. Um, and yeah, Cameron was coming off of like the high of like T2 and True Lies on his way to Titanic. And he, um, yeah, he, he wrote this screenplay. He wrote it like a 75 page. It was called a scriptman. So like some scenes were just kind of like, this is what happens in the scene. And then some scenes were like, there's actual dialogue. And the bad guy was the there were there were two bad guys. One of them was kind of off-brand Sandman, which was clearly like because he was trying to do like T one thousand. And then there was wow. like the major villain who was like a kingpin electro crossover. There was some weird sex stuff with Mary Jane in there. There was organic web shooters, which worked its way into Sam Raimi stuff. Oh wow! Yeah, it's, well, it's that's fascinating. It's it's fascinating. Yeah. It's not really entertaining, but if. You know, uh, people are listening to this, and and um, there is some weird synthesis there. Uh, yeah, so glad it was never made because it's the same production company. It was um, by uh, Carol Co. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. I know. It was supposed yeah. to star Leonardo DiCaprio as Peter Parker. Well, um, <laughs> at one point there were actually Cameron was uh, also talking about Furlong, is what I heard. And Furlong, he's an interesting screen presence. Um, 
I think he, I think there's an alternate universe where he had like a more fleshed out career. Mm-hmm. It's weird because he kind of like disappeared throughout like those four like teen years because he's kind of like he's like a middle schooler in this one and then like he mm-hmm. kind of comes back in and like the like um, was that John Waters movie Pecker by that point yeah. in his 20s, you know like um, maybe I'm missing a couple spots there but yeah I mean he, I, I really think I, I do think about him a lot and like um, kind of he did bring a very like he brought a lot of sweetness to the character he also brought some very Mark Bagley bangs uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh god seriously I, my, my my husband was watching the movie with me and he was like i really wanted his haircut when i was a kid but i wasn't able to communicate it clearly to the stylist i was like that's amazing i can um, do his haircut now if i wanted to it's awful <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know one of the i feel like i just don't want to overlook how Im- the significance of two things from Mm -hmm. Terminator 2, which is one, that the bad guy spends the entire movie as a LAPD cop. And this came out before, this came out like before the Rodney King beatings. I don't remember where this came in relation to the Ramparts investigation, but like your villain is spending the entire movie looking like a cop and like convincingly, convincingly acting like a cop and interacting with other people in coply ways and he's the bad guy and the other piece of it is linda hamilton like being a woman in an action movie who looks like she could actually beat you up like we have a chronic problem in action movies to this day where like women look like twigs like i i'm sorry like you can put on muscle trust me i don't work out nearly enough and i'm buffer than a lot of these women and then linda hamilton is like there like muscular and tough and like and 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 she practically saves herself i mean yeah she's yeah, out there she she's does. a total killer and and just so even as a kid well i mean i wasn't even as a as like a young teenager with the you could be mine video on tv i had never seen a woman who looked like that on television who like wasn't treated as like an athletic freak show basically um right. and that was huge and i was like it was totally one of those, like, she's so hot. I want to look like that. I also think she's really hot. Like, so it's like this, you know, like queer youth, like, do I want to be her? Do I want to make out with her? I don't know. But um, it was, it was really important. And like, still a vacuum in our culture. Like, it's ridiculous. Right. It's crazy to me because, you know, the first time I saw it was yesterday. And obviously, you know, it's old, but it seemed to me like. You're doing this Tom Holland thing for Andy and it's driving me nuts. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) Um, It, it when I saw it, I was. It seemed to me like a, a character that would very much fit in any of today's movies, uh, mm. in which people are taking more of like a, a serious stance on like portraying females as not just like a, you know, you know, portraying women as like a like a damsel in distress or something. Like she's very much a badass and very yeah. believable. And um, like there's that scene at the end of T two. No, you we could spoil things, right? I guess if you're listening, yeah, 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 please, yeah. Where she's shooting T one thousand with a shotgun, and then she runs, she like runs out of uh, out of bullets, and in my head I'm just like, just go over there and kick him, like, you know, like <laughs> you're that strong or like that badass that I believe that she could just go over there and just freaking kick him into the lava, you know, without like, uh, like I don't really, I never really had fear for her character. I did have, yeah, I guess you know they're chasing her, but I never doubted that she would come out on top. That's and really to cool. me, yeah, and to me, that was, like, really cool to see, uh, especially thinking about it, like, at the time. I can't really think of any movies from that time period 
aside from you know the uh what are they what is it called the final girl in like slasher films you know and that was another parallel that i drew that she very much was like a final girl from a slasher film well yeah maybe in yeah in the first one but in, it's in the so first like, one in the first one in, yeah yeah in the first one the second one alana you 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 saw this um as like a you said as like a young teenager was it or I'm sorry. Did did you? At what no, age I saw I saw no Terminators other than the music video until I was an adult. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, and I like Terminator One a lot. I mean, there was the, the one thing that bothers me about both Terminator. There's two things that bother me. I should say about the Terminator stories in general, which is one of them is that it makes it seem like this one man is so important to the revolution that we need to base our entire strategy around saving him, which like could not, I mean, that talk about like falling for a great man theory of history is also just kind of like implausible and, and, and silly. Like really this one man, he's the only person who could possibly do this really. And then the other thing is like Linda Hamilton has one night she has sex with this guy and she's just going to go and like be pregnant. Really? Yeah. I found that kind of suspicious too. I'm like, lady, got an abortion. This is silly. It, it's it's the weirdest thing with Cameron is that he like will do these like um, he he'll he'll meet you further than your expectations in one dimension of any almost any of his films, mm. and then in another dimension, it's just like, oh yeah, no, I'm just a reactionary bigot, you know, like I don't know. What you it's want. so weird, <laughs> yeah. but he really is genuine. I think in his attempt to have like an anti-nuclear weapons story. Yeah, in, in a film like that of that is, size, you know, to, to like kind of like uh, show it like that um you know it's it's so strange because a it's it's an r-rated film like like you know there's just like a level of graphic imagery that like he knows what he's doing with that stuff you know and, mm -hmm. and, and um to confront it with that level of sadness as opposed to that level of spectacle and maybe people could argue with me about that but you know to say that he he, he has a layer of of anxiety to it that like something like independence day for instance around the same time it was not there. It was all like, you know, pretty bloodless, uh, you know, aliens come and they blow us up and now we're pissed, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, a, I agree. it's an interesting film. Uh, so much to do a podcast. For. <laughs> uh, do you guys, <laughs> it, it gets your adrenaline going. That's the word I keep going back to when I think about it. Like it gets, it gets adrenaline going like, like a few other films do. Do any Spider-Man films get your adrenaline going like Terminator 2 does. I mean, it's a different feeling, but the literal velocity of the animated swinging and stylings of Into the Spider-Verse mm. is so full of motion um, that I think that would be the, the, the closest connection I can draw. I can't believe we didn't actually talk about that. Yeah, that's, that, that is like an interesting like thing unique to these films is uh, outside of maybe like Tarzan movies is like mm -hmm. the, the like experience of that Oh. Yeah, I think um, Raimi, I, mean, I agree, the animation on, on Into the Spider-Verse is beautiful. I think Raimi Spider-Man has really good swinging sequences that kind of put you in it. Yeah, Alana, um, if, I, if I'm going to recommend Raimi in any dimension, it's that his, his swinging sequences wow. are, are beautiful. Best. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's, I think, I, I, but, I don't think they've been topped. Like, I don't think, like, the MCU series has any iconic swinging scenes like that. Hmm. I think every... Raimi one has at least one scene where like you're like what like what for yeah. real and it's just so beautiful and it's so well done i would argue and, that spider-verse has better swing but a lot less of it i would i see uh, i'll do i'll say that 
Oh, okay. I can see that. I can see yeah. that. Yeah, there are a lot more scenes that are, like, really impressive uh, in the Raimi, like, uh, you know, in terms of quantity. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, the Andrew Garfield films try to do, at least in that first one, like, that first person view with swinging. I don't really like that, honestly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was, like, uh, that was a choice. You know, yeah, I mean, he's, Spider-Man's a warm blanket. He's, he's like, uh, you know, one of my, hmm. you know, he's one of my favorite things to think about um i have him on more articles of clothing than I do terminator but when it comes to this <laughs> film i can't think of a I, I i don't think that there's any films that uh at this point in my life i think there are times when i would have like probably put some of like Raimi's spider-man 2 up there but yeah i think at this point in my life i think none of them hit like terminator 2 does you know what about you guys anything you can go first sorry no, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking about that. I I don't know if I have like a favorite action movie per se. So, um, but I, I definitely, you know, like it, it definitely wasn't like a seminal part of my youth the way it was for you. But that, that but I really love Guns N' Roses. That much is certain. And Guns N' Roses is also very good for the adrenaline. I, I highly endorse listening to Guns N' Roses. Would, would, okay, two part question now. Would GNR work in a Spider-Man film? I, I don't think so. No, they're so California and Spider-Man is not, even though he's legendarily has that bad boy crop top, Spider-Man is not bad. So Spider-Man does not, is not a, a GNR fan. But um, I, I, I thought using the Ramones um, in, um, that, in, uh, in Into the uh, Spider-Verse, I just wish they hadn't used the literal, the literal same Ramones song that is used in every single popular culture property. Yeah. Like, it just is so fucking basic. Like, these band yeah. was around for decades and decades. They have a limitless number of songs they've written. Please use a different one. But, um, so yeah. So, so actually, so that's, guy. yeah, that, that's the next thing I was going to From Queens, right? So. I'm sorry? from Queens, you know, the Ramones. Oh, I didn't make that connection. So, so what I was actually going to ask both of you being music people yourselves, I, a few years ago, I tried to do like, because uh, I create these weird projects in my head. I created a Spider-Man playlist on Spotify. Ooh. Yeah. Um, and I put in the, I, I can pull it up. I, I dove into a few artists I'd never heard before. I put in some words like Jonah and like, you know, uh, uh, rooftops, and I found some weird music. I, I put in some bleachers. I put in the feelies was like what I opened with. But I found hmm. it was a lot of like lo-fi punk was like what I thought of when I thought of Spider-Man. What, what music-wise, like I mean, outside like the Ramones is a good call. Do you guys have any like music that you hear and you're like, oh, that's Spider-Man? Yeah, uh, a few. I mean, it really depends, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe it's because I was growing up. So this, I'll tie this into to, to the, uh, the the previous question. Maybe it's because I was growing up during that time. Personally, I would put Spider Man Two as like being more. I'm more connected to that film than Terminator Two. Okay. The reason I asked what, but the reason I asked why why Terminator Two, mm-hmm. is because as far as sequels go, like Spider Man, uh, Raimi Spider Man Two, kind of expands on the first one. And, you know, it doesn't really rehash it. Like it does take it a little different territory, which is good. But T two like flips the whole shit on its head. Yeah. And I I it's in terms of like what a sequel should be, I don't know if a sequel should be that. Not every property can pull that off. But yeah, I just took the whole concept and like still the same thing, but not, nah, you know. So that was very interesting. Um 
what do I think of music when I think of Spider-Man because of the period that I grew up in? Hero by uh, Chad Kroger, for sure. And uh, Vindicated by Dashboard Confession. Yeah, that, <laughs> um, that, that made it onto my Spotify playlist, I'll say that. Yeah, it has to be. It has to be. That Those soundtracks for both of those movies are really good. And also it has... Um, give me one second. It also has uh, the uh, Aerosmith... Um, Guitarist Joe, I think it was Joe Perry that did the guitar for the '90s Spider-Man series. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, interesting. So that is actually pretty interesting because the music on that is very different from like the Nickelback type stuff or like that softer rock, like Dashboard Confessional, but it still gives me like a heavy Spider-Man vibe. Hmm. hmm. Alana, do you have? Did what? What does that? You said Ramones. Was there anything else that that got you thinking of? I, I wish I'd thought about this question earlier. It's um, okay. Don't worry thing. about it. I mean, I, I about today, this is a good question to ask you guys. Yeah, no, it's, um, I definitely think that there's like something that's so quintessentially New York about Spider-Man that lends itself to that. But by the same token, Spider-Man is not hip. So like Spider-Man is not going to be like, yeah, this is my favorite New York Dolls album. You know what I mean? So like, yeah. what is New York based music that, a guy who's not particularly cool is is going to even know or access, and it's it's definitely also a generational question. Like, when are you? What what time period are you placing him in? Right. Yeah. Um. So I, you know, I bet you, like, depending when, like, he was probably into the Strokes. They're really mainstream. He would have oh, heard yeah. of them, and they're very New York associated. So I'm I'm like I'm too old for that though, you know. So I'm like, eh. but um. He was into I, UB40 I, in the '90s. UB40 oh, and and like Hootie and the Blowfish. <laughs> but no but like there is something new york about him so there, there has to you know so that's why the romans i feel like we're per, are, are perfect because they are even though you know yeah. the, yes they began as punk they are very very widely known now and they are very very queens and there's something about that sort of like it's the humor that they have through so many of their song lyrics as well as the channeling the feelings of isolation um and fear and paranoia that like those modes together, like how much richer would it have been if they had sung about like, I don't want to go to, if, if Spider-Man was like, I'm going to have like, I don't want to go to the basement or, you know, some other songs that are not already used, but that actually still have that same sort of sentiment. Ah, Commando. And the various Ramones love songs very much would have a Peter Parker feel to them. Come to think of it. Right, I want right. to be a boyfriend. Like, yeah, that's, Very that's, sweet. Such a good, that's such a good Spider-Man song. Yeah. Well, oh, yeah, that's, a, yeah. Guys, thank you so much for coming. Um, is uh, anything you want to plug? Anything either of you would like to plug? I got, sorry, I, I, got, I got my new podcast coming up. Mm -hmm, yeah. uh, Going to be, you know, Deep Space Dive, launching that very soon. And if folks, you know, best way to keep up with me is on Twitter, which is E-L-A-N-A -A underscore Brooklyn. That's E-L-A-N-A -A underscore Brooklyn. Awesome. Um, yeah, I have a lot of new music always coming out. Um, you can find me on Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, on YouTube uh, as Frandy, F-R-A-N-D-I-E. Um, I'm also most consistent with Instagram. I kind of hate social media, but you know, gotta keep up with it. Uh, so you can find me on Instagram at f r a n d i e underscore. And I'll say that uh, your your track side piece is the one that tends to pop up on on other playlists that I put in the most. So that's the one I 
Awesome. Oh yeah, here's my friend Brandon. You know, I actually, I actually like as, as a, few, a lot of people still like side piece, and it's like two years old. So I feel like yeah. there's something there that's unexplored. Yeah. Uh, guys, thank you much for coming. Uh, hasta la vista. Uh, all right, thank you, Michael. Thanks, guys. Um, thank you. Thank you, guys. That was really great. She told me that she looking for passion, but she not really looking for romance. So baby girl, why don't you put it on me? And now I just think it by reggaeton. She looked at me and said that was her plan. And she whispered in my ear, she got a man. But I gave her what she asked for on the dance floor. Couple hours fast forward, now her pants off. Must go by and was to let it. Damn. I know I gotta break the habit. The longer it goes, the deeper I fall. Now when she's with me, she dug in his calls. No, she isn't loyal, so I shouldn't keep her. He looked at my limpest and my demeanor. Cause I was there through it all if you call and I was a side piece, side piece. You'd get tired and say he just wanna fight and then you would find me, find me. Used to say that I took it all away and that I was your piece. I know what you need and I used to tell you you should let him go. Now I wanna let you know that all along I was wrong. I was better off as a side piece, side piece. When things were bad but you meant it, you were mad. Girl, you used to find me. Tables turn, bridges burn, and I learned of your lies and deceit. And you wanna play me? Thought that you were slick and that I wouldn't know. Now I'm the one that needs to go. Now I'm the one that needs to go. Now I'm the one that needs to go. Must think I'm stupid. Fuck you and fuck Cupid. The fruit was forbidden, so we kept it hidden. I knew you had a man at the beginning. You called me to hit it. Was there in a minute? Knew it was wrong, but I just couldn't quit it. If you didn't stop it, then why would I? You were the one telling lies to your guy. I was falling for you, watching it happen, wishing inside that I could make you happy. But be careful what you wish for. Cause all along I was wrong, I was better off as a side piece But things were bad, but you meant it, you were mad Girl, you used to find me, find me But tables turn, bridges burn, and I learned of your lies and deceit And you wanna blame me, thought that you were slick and that I wouldn't know Now I'm the one that needs to go